Good day, nerds. This is Megan coming at you with another Cantina Conversation. Today's episode, we are talking with Jennifer Gavon about her upcoming book, River Woman, River Demon. It is out on October 4th. This is a really cool conversation where Jennifer talks about practicing folk magic and brujeria herself and how her own uh, lifestyle influenced her main character's story. Um, but yeah, without further ado, here is Jennifer Gavon. Today we've got Jennifer Gavon here. We're talking about River Woman, River Demon coming out October 4th. Jennifer, thanks so much for joining us today. This book was, it was cool. I liked what you did with it. I'm a sucker for like the suspense thriller genre and with the whole like magic and the bujera and the curanderisma, it was all like, it was fun and eerie and cool. And I'm excited to like, you know, dive a little bit deeper into it with you today. Awesome. Thank you so much. I love to hear that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, absolutely. So um, before we get started, how about, can you give like a little um, synopsis of the book so like the listeners can follow along with the conversation? <laughs> Yes, absolutely. So River Woman, River Demon begins with Eva Santiago, who is a bruja, which uh, for all intents and purposes means a witch. uh, And that's the Spanish term for it. But it fuses together the idea of curandera and a bruja, which is like a healer and a witch. And so it's a kind of a combination of uh, light and shadow and not being afraid to go into the shadow places. you know, to do that kind of deep psychic work within the self and the underbelly, but also using magic as a form of healing. And so she's a bruja who's actually not in touch with her roots at the beginning of the book. She is suffering depression and trauma-induced blackouts from the uh, drowning of her best friend when they were teenagers. And she's now in her 30s. She has two kids and she's married. Um, and she's a glass worker, but she hasn't been practicing her art or her magic. And she's just really been suffering. And um, one night when her husband is supposed to be, she thinks he's at work, uh, getting ready for the Dia de los Muertos celebrations, that's um, Day of the Dead, she hears a screaming from the river and she, that's beside their property. And she runs outside and finds her husband, Jericho holding the body of their best friend, Cecilia in his arms. And she is dead and bloody and, um, you know, Eva freaks out and thus the novel begins trying to figure out uh, what's going on and who did this and why, and uh, how will she protect herself and her family from it happening again? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I like how it kind of starts off like that's that's what readers get from the beginning where it's it's right into right where we get started right at the beginning. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was not slow to start. It was just like, OK, here's some chaos and here's our, our beloved main character dealing with this said chaos. So, yeah, but in a nutshell, you know, um, so how about we start with like your background? Um, cause I was looking, I think like on your website and stuff, how, you know, you also write poetry, um, but you've written a couple of novels, right. Um, along with yep. some poetry. Yeah. So kind of like in your novel. background. Yeah. And like how, um, you know, what led you to share Ava's story into the world? Yeah. So, 
I have always wanted to write novels, um, but I feel like I'm, I'm a poet at heart, which just means that I see the world and I feel the world lyrically, kind of heart on my sleeve type of person. And so the poetry comes really naturally to me, but I've always played with narrative in poetry. And so, for instance, in my first collection, I have a sonnet crown, which is 14 sonnets, and it tells a story along 14 pages of sonnets. Uh, and so I've been working with narrative throughout my writing career, but I knew that I had longer stories to tell that were going to take the space of a novel to build an entire world. All of my novels focus on strong Latina or in, and or indigenous protagonist who doesn't necessarily know uh, her worth or her value for whatever reason, usually because of systemic oppression, cultural, social oppression, or because she's been in a, a toxic relationship or two or three or four. <laughs> and, uh, you know, very much mirrors my own experience growing up um, with the kind of machismo uh, attitudes that, you know, um, men and boys didn't necessarily treat women with the respect, girls and women with the respect that we deserve. And so that really wore on myself as a person. And so I wanted to make sure that the novels that I'm writing, even though they're fun and exciting stories with a lot of plot twists and twists and turns uh, also have a deeper thematic purpose and serve to empower people and especially girls and women. So that's always been at the forefront of why I write. And uh, for this last novel, I chose to write about Eva and uh, Brujeria because it's a major part of my own spiritual path. I am a practicing bruja, um, which means, again, it's it's a kind of a blend and infusion of Catholicism and my indigenous roots. So, you know, uh, I am Mexican-American and I have um, indigenous roots in the Southwest as well on my maternal grandmother's side. And so, uh, for instance, I might uh, set up an altar to uh, one of the goddesses of the Mexica culture, which is um, the spirit of divine love. And she is also, even though she is all about love, she also is the eater of filth, which means that you can bring her your shame, your ugliness, your, you know, um, your waste products that normally in society we don't talk about and, and we bury, right? But in um, Brujeria, you bring that to the mother and she takes it and like cleanses it and purifies it, but not in a way that like, not in a, an oppressive way um, that a lot of religion thinks of, you know, of, of purifying it, but like taking it into you in a way that it's like a transformation where that darkness within you doesn't have to be a bad thing. That shadow within you doesn't have to be a bad thing. And tapping into that and spending time in the underbelly doesn't always have to, you know, be depressing or doesn't have to um, be stigmatized with mental illness. And so that really was a, a major part of Eva's journey and what she was learning. Um, and, and also, Brujeria has often been stigmatized just as witchcraft has, mm -hmm. you know, in, in Western culture. And that's the same in uh, Latin American culture. Um, and so, you know, the, the colonizers came in and saw the indigenous practices as mm. kind of a witchcraft, as, as having malevolent intent. And so then even now when I tell, you know, fellow uh, Latinx uh, folks that I'm a bruja, they'll, they'll say like, why? Why do you call yourself that? Because to them, it's like saying a negative thing, you know, mm. and so I'm trying to reclaim that in the way that we might reclaim like I'm a bitch, you know, and like <laughs> a good thing. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. 
So I, I wanted to show those, but I also uh, really wanted to tell, you know, twisty psychological thriller, murder mystery, because those gave a lot of hope and inspiration, ironically, uh, to me when I was suffering through postpartum depression. And I felt alone and isolated as a mother having some very dark thoughts. Mm. And I would go to these uh, psychological thrillers with unstable protagonists. And it was like a window to my soul at the time, you know, like a way to a health, a more, uh, unpack it in a healthy way. <laughs> exactly. It was like, yeah, you go to a book. I mean, Stephen King says, you know, yeah, all you need is love as long as you keep the gators fed. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like it was a kind of, it was, it was a kind of a psychic release for me and, and, and a way of a kind of like, a, um, an immersion therapy, you know, where it's like, you have these dark thoughts. Okay. Let's actually explore them. Let's, yeah. let's see where they go. And I was able to do that in a novel in a way that helped me also to deal with some, um, unpacked PTSD trauma mm. uh, from my earlier childhood and young adulthood through Eva. And so that felt again, like a major psychic release. And so I hope that readers um, are likewise able to get that kind of a release and empathize with her. If not, you know, I mean, if you, if you still don't like her, all the way through, <laughs> that's okay too, because I'm, you know, I'm all for unlikable women. Like we need to read unlikable women because why should women have to be likable all the time? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I love everything you said, like a couple points. Um, with the whole embracing the dark and like, it, it just reminds me of social media. Like nobody's posting like their setbacks. Nobody's right. posting like the bad stuff that goes on. And it's like my, me, myself, I've, you know, I've um dealt with depression, anxiety, a little OCD, I, you know, clinically been diagnosed for like, tw like 20 years. And at the time I was like a teenager, you know, I was like a young teenager and I was like, well, something's not right. And then, um, as I'm getting older, I'm realizing like, well, this isn't going away. Like, it's not just a phase. It's like, well, right. okay, if this is part of, of me and my brain, then I'm going to have to try to like use all the resources that are available to me. And I'm just like, and that's part of embracing it. It's just part of like, right. you know what, this, this, uh, gives you an insight you know, into, and it's like, you're not alone either. It's exactly. like so many, so many people, not just women, like so many people and there, we have to remove the stigma exactly. and, um, that postpartum is a huge deal. Like it needs to be talked about more so that there's no shame. It's like, exactly. yeah, like these dark thoughts, like they happen and it's like, you can't help it. And it's a right. lot like your hormones and your body and your brain, like all your emotions are trying to like realign <laughs> after <Exactly>. this huge, <laughs> like life changing, body changing, mind changing event. Like I have two little boys, um, they're five and almost two. So like, I'm still kind of early in there. So that's why I was like yeah. reading Ava. She was like, can you still be going through so postpartum after 11 years? And it's right. like, Ooh, I mean, I guess like, I feel like we'll find out. Right. But I'm sure it's, it's so much more common, but you know, that's why I appreciate just people, you know, authors or re, you know, I feel like it's, maybe it's a little more um talked about a lot of more people are like, you know, there's a more of a conversation going, but yeah, it's just so like, you know, I look at my mom and I'm like, oh, God, like, how would it have been back then? You know, where you just right. talk about it or you just saying, like, well, you know what? Toughen up because you're a mom now or, you exactly. know, like she delivered four babies without epidural. I'm like, I'm like, 
you know, bowing down to her. <laughs> like things were so different back then. And it's, yeah, it's kind of going off of that where like, no, I, I appreciate it. And I love how you say it's okay if Ava's not, Ava's not likable. Like I get it. Cause there were times where I was like, girl, what are you doing? I know. <laughs> I know. You know, and that's the thing too, because she's really trying to carve out a space for herself where she's not only able to embrace the darkness, but a couple of things, right? The idea of self-care and like, what does that mean, right? And to kind of, you know, there's an ironic tone through the whole thing. And she's kind of tongue in cheek, you know, in this kind of dry, wry humor through the whole thing. Uh, so that's just a part of her personality. But I mean, what does it mean to actually care for herself? And I mean, mother herself, she is mm. a motherless woman. And to embrace the mothers that are already in her life, her sister, and the other women, the friendships, and, you know, to really let women in and in doing so, right, she can become a stronger mother, whatever that yeah. means that, you know, she can mother her children and mother herself. And then also, you know, not to be, you know, pushed into that box where she, her life has to only be about her children now, because she's still a woman and she yeah. still has all of these conflicting feelings about, you know, her past and her present relationships and so it was about trying to find a balance in an interesting way where I could talk about and think about some of these issues that women go through in embracing our true identities and, you know, versus what we're told to be. Yeah. So it was kind of yeah. ironic and funny that, um, and I'm, I'm so happy that River Woman, River Demon was featured in Good Housekeeping, but a fellow Bruja who had, who's read the book was just laughing and she's like, oh, and I said, I know Eva would have something to say about the <laughs> Good Housekeeping because, you know, I mean, throughout the book, she's struggling to get her house in order in, you know, in, in metaphorical terms and magical terms as well, like emotionally and psychically in order as well. And to kind of clear that space of the ghosts of the past and find out what's really happening. Um, so I loved that it was in good housekeeping, actually. And I feel like, <laughs> you know, it's about just different ways of looking at motherhood, and then especially different ways of looking at Latinas and Latina motherhood and what that means, because I grew up with all kinds of a different set of prescriptions about what motherhood was supposed to be like as a Latina and watching my mom, you know, and, and like I said, with that kind of machismo attitude in the mm. culture. And so it was necessary for me to create a character who pushed back in all kinds of different ways. And, you know, Eva is herself and yes, yeah, she happens to be Latina, but she's also just, you know, herself and a very individual personality. And so I want you know, more Latina and, and people of color. And then, you know, all of everybody to understand that, like, just because you're a person of color doesn't mean you fit into the box that we think of for being that, that particular ethnicity or that particular culture. Yeah, it's, it's about like, creating multidimensional characters, exactly. being also, you know, recognizing the fact that, <clears throat> her story is one to tell within that community. You know, exactly. it's like, yeah. And yeah, because obviously that's such a huge part of how she deals with herself. But because you could tell that because she stepped away from it or she hasn't been practicing it, that something wasn't right. Like when readers meet her, she's been going through it. She's been exactly. going through some shit. She's been dealing with yep. her her demons, pun intended, I guess. But exactly. you know, yep. she's yeah. And it's um and it, you know, it almost it's almost a little heartbreaking realizing that she's been dealing with it secretly for so long. Like 
Right. You know, and she's actually all of her adult life. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, ever since the incident with her best friend, you know, just getting the readers get fed that every once in a while, like little feedbacks and like how she dealt with it. And it was just, yeah, that's like you develop like so much empathy for her. And then you kind of also understand like how that feeds into like, why she's still making certain decisions and why she's still doubting and why she's still questioning and why she's still not even herself. Like she's, it's very clear that she is like, I I don't even know like what to do. And because, and it's because of a lot of it's because, um, you know, her husband is her rock. And it's like when that person who's like your soulmate supposedly, and you don't even know if everything you've known about them is reliable because there were times where I was like, Jericho did it. Like, (laughs) like he's trifling. Like he is. Nope. He cheated on you. I was like, so convinced after a certain point. And then it was like, Oh, I don't know. Like, I don't know. He's pretty consistent in his, uh, in his, you know, telling of things. And, and throughout the story, Eva is not, um, she's a little unreliable. She just because of her condition and, so I, yeah, I, it was like kind of, kind of navigating Eva and then trying to like figure, you know, figure out as a reader, but that's part of the fun, right? That's part of learning about her, learning about what she went through and learning about her experiences and why she's like understandably approaching things the way that she is. About the, like the brujera and stuff, like all of that stuff is like, I love that, you know, you kind of, you, you kind of like made this story and you made this character you know, you immersed that part of your life. So like what else, like what other kind of like research went into developing the story? Like I, I like to ask authors, like maybe one, what's the weirdest thing that you've had to Google? And then like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then like what, you know, what were you most fascinated by when you were like looking up stuff to just kind of, you know, crossing the T's, dotting the I's, making sure everything was like plausible and, and real and all that good stuff. Yeah, that's, oh, this is such a great juicy question. So (laughs) most of it is inspired, as you pointed out, through my own practice and my family's practice of, um, and that's my immediate family. So my mom is, and my mom and dad are Catholic and and they kind of don't like the whole witchy thing (laughs) at all, quite honestly. Yeah. Um, But, you know, they love me and accept me. And I finally got them to watch Harry Potter. So that was something It's like their gateway in. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that. Club. I have baby steps. <laughs> yep. and, that, and that's why, too, there's mentions of muggles and things like that, because, you know, it's, it's an inside joke in, the, in any magical community because it's one way into a marginalized, you know, people who are marginalized and people who practice magic are still so misunderstood in mm. society. And so anyway. But my family and I do practice magic, um, but there were a lot of things in there that we haven't actually done. So like some of the kind of more the the darker aspects of it. And again, it's I still wasn't presenting it in a way that was stereotypical and like the way that we have seen hoodoo as um, as actually a misnomer because people call it voodoo when voodoo is actually voodoo on the religion, the Haitian religion. 
and it's hoodoo that they're really talking about, which is a blend of African spirituality and Christianity. And that's what Jericho practices. And mm. that's the kind of thing that my mm. husband um, has been interested in brought to our marriage. And then I brought my um, Latinx culture and they kind of, we kind of infused them in that way because I actually do incorporate some Wiccan elements in my own practice as well. Um, and so it's kind of that idea of like harm none. That's, mm. you know, that's my own personal practice because uh, karma, the best friend uh, in the, in the book. Um, and I actually did have a best friend growing up named karma. And okay. I, <laughs> I did. And I grew up uh, in the approach It's a very different person than the person described in the book. Um, but I was, I was little when I was friends with her and I actually didn't know back then that her name karma meant what it means. Right. It was just a name to me. Yeah. Yeah. So, you learned the name before you like learned that it was a word like. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, that was to me, it was intentional. And an editor had asked, do you want to keep this in here? It's so on the nose. And I'll like, I absolutely do. Because the book to me is meant to be an allegory. Right. And so, you know, so many of the of the magical elements, I love them and I do practice them in my own life. But I also understand that magic is also metaphor. Right. And so if we can imagine it, then that's mm-hmm. you know, what else do we need? Mm-hmm. So just in terms of kind of forgot where I'm going. So are you gonna oh, no, it's fine. Part? I just kind of <laughs> asked you like the weirdest thing you had to Google. Maybe uh, you don't right. have to say it if you don't want to. Um, And then also like maybe like just uh, you kind of touched on my like the most fascinating thing that you learned while figure like researching and stuff. Yeah. So I went to a bunch <clears> of apothecaries <throat> and um, botanicas and you know, not only for my own personal use, but to investigate things for the novel in terms of Googling. I mean, I don't know, just like all authors have to Google weird stuff. So like (laughs) you have to hold a person underwater before they drown and like will handprints still show, you know, after a a body has been in the water for a certain amount of time, you know, (laughs) things like that. And uh, can you, can you get the fingerprints off of a body that you've drowned, you know, things like that. And I probably looked really creepy. <laughs> yeah, that's no, I feel like you're not alone. I think there's like a spot. There should be like a special um, criteria of, uh, you know, search history Google for author. authors. Yeah, <laughs> yeah because Google. I, I when you know, sometimes I've I asked authors this and then most recently was uh, Raquel Viverez. She's the Mango Mambo murder and she just released um, Calypso Corps, Corpses and Cooking. She's more like a cozy culinary artist. But I, I asked her like, also, what uh, what's the weirdest thing you had at Google? She's like, I hope nobody ever <clears throat> sees my my Google search right. history, <laughs> right. exactly. and that is probably like the perfect like. And I feel like that go almost goes without saying, like without saying what your profession is, but like right. for authors, absolutely, it's like, no, I'm not NSA. I'm not planning anything nefarious. I'm just writing a book. <laughs> exactly, and again, <clears throat> though, that to me was so freeing because. When before I was writing novels that had these dark elements in them, and I had to look things up about thoughts like, what if you're having this or that? You know, it there was shame, there was fear, you know, but then it was like giving it to a character and amplifying it through that character. I was able to live out these possibilities and really get them out of myself. And so that was so freeing. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of touching on what um, we were talking about earlier is just like, embracing it and yeah yep. just saying that it's like a healthy way to kind of explore you know those elements because i've yeah i've spoken to authors who like <laughs> 
where where the murder mystery is you know and and the um it's just some of the details and the, like the very like scenario is just very possible it's very real or it's right or it's kind of like diving into um the experiences of you know the people of color the low-income communities and it's like how people grow up it's like it's almost wild cards you know and yeah. you know it's not even socioeconomic because they're like affluent people who who grew up affluent and they turn out to be rapers and murderers right. and all that stuff and right. so it's like you know it's just it just depends on like you know a way to turn that into um some form of expression and explore that and it's almost its own form of therapy and it's like kind of you know feeding into um like the the magic uh the the magical elements that you incorporate like from your life into your book it's like it's just you know people do rituals all the time i feel like they just don't call it a ritual it's like well what do you do you you if it's institutionalized you like you go to church or if it's like you do your own spiritual at home stuff maybe you're not doing an altar, but maybe you're meditating each night exactly. before you go to bed or when you wake exactly. up or like people have their own like little routines. And it's, it's, that's why I'm like, I'm open-minded and I'm like, or I try to be anyway, where it's, you know, the, the whole, um, Ruhiera stuff. It's like I, my, my mom's Mexican. I have like half of my family is like in, um, the America, but also in Mexico. And so it's oh, like, cool. I've, I'm not unfamiliar with, some of those practices or some of those terms or some of like the culture, but at the same time, I'm like that, I guess that's, it contributes to me being open-minded, but at the same time, I'm like, I, I, I'm not as immersed in it. And so that's why like, I think uh river woman, river demon kind of like, it was cool to be like, Ooh, okay. Like, how does this, you know, what's her story? Like, how does right. she, how does this play into her life? And it was so cute how she found her person who shared that interest who shared that culture who shared that life interest and also um they had a couple kids who they're like well you know we don't they i got the vibe that they didn't like um they didn't force it on them but they were still like no this is what we're about this is what we do this is important to us and so you know if you see little things here and there that's it's okay (laughs) like like if you see some some like the altar set up you see you know some scents or some herbs or some whatever and it's yeah and i really did like uh jimena and javier like i no not xavier right you made a comment about that in the book it was javier right Right. yep (laughs) so i still i love i mean i call them the exes as well so you know there was that (laughs) yeah no i i enjoy that because my my um nephew he's um he's Afro Latino and like his mom's Mexican and his dad's black. And so it's, it's, you know, I could just describing them. I was just like, Oh, like (laughs) it just like kind of like touched me a little bit. And so I can like kind of under, but it was, it was so funny because you described it as like, Jimena looks more like her mom and Uh her looks more like his dad. And so it was Uh like, Oh, I could, I could picture it. And I love that. Um, you know, Javier was like a little botanist and uh-huh. was like a little like a, her archery. archery and uh-huh. I love that too. Cause it was like, you know, I, I just, I, I see like my kids and I'm like, okay, like they're so young. What can I, what can I like introduce them to now where I'm, you know, cause I, I really did like, I did actually wanted to, so I did an archery class and my husband for, um, it was either for my birthday or for like an anniversary gift. He got me like a little target and a little like archery set. And so, um, but unfortunately our backyard when I practice, like, or when we would both like, m- you know, practice, he's, you know, he's like a bigger guy and he's like, 
he's not shy with it. And so sometimes his arrows would go in the yard behind us. And <laughs> we're like, the neighbors. he's like, that's not good. Like, he's like, yeah, don't that is the not, neighbors. <laughs> yeah. He's like, that's not good. If some kids were back there, that would not be right. good. And it's like, cause once you release the arrow, you can't control where it goes. And so right. we're like, we had to be creative and stuff, but we also had, um, some, uh, like a little mini, uh, bow from, that I got from my uh, grandparents in Mexico where I don't know, it was just like a very simple like string and wood. Um, and that's what we used to kind of like have the kids like play with. Um, Practice, yeah. And so, yeah, yeah. Just like we move them up, like, you know, to a foot to the target <laughs> so that, so that they could see it. So no, I, yeah. And I love that Jimena was um practicing, pressing archery. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, the kids um, are very much based on my own kids in a lot of ways, except, you know, my, we we really do practice, like I said, a lot of these um, rituals and spiritual beliefs, but we're also very open with the kids about what they believe. And they also did make their first Holy Communions in the Catholic church as well. My mom wanted that for them. And I was like, yeah, yeah. totally. Like you, I want you to have lots of Because you grew up with it. Like, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. And and it still is important to me as well. Like I still fall back Catholicism all the time and a lot of the tenets of Catholicism. Um, so it's, it really is a blend for myself. And I wanted the kids to have exposure to a lot yeah. of different possible belief yeah. systems, and then they can choose whether they want to or not with any of it. So my son is very much like, I'm Catholic. He just loves being Catholic. And I think that's awesome. My daughter, she if you ask her, she'll be like, I'm a bruja. You know, she's like <laughs> very excited about that. And yeah, we're cool with that. You know, it's their choice, what they believe. I love that. Yeah. Cause there's so many like ways to practice spirituality yeah. and religion. And it's, exactly. it's, you know, <clears throat> it's like, yeah. Cause I was raised Catholic too. And I, my other half is Irish. So it's like, of course, Irish Mexican, <laughs> you're going to be Catholic. Like, <laughs> and you know, and so, but then like, as you get older, you understand like, oh, well, you know, some people are Islam. Some people are like, there's different Christianity sectors. Right. And then there's like, you know, Buddhism. And then there's like, just like so many that I don't even know about. And so it's like, well, yeah, I, I just, I try to be open-minded and I try to be like, explore like, well, who's to say, you know, well, that's what they were raised on. You know, it's like, this is, I'm just one person, this, this huge world. So um, that's why I kind of like, I love that you do that for your kids. Cause I would love to do that for art, for my kids where it's like, well, there's, there's not just this, there's more than one thing out there based on like, all these different regions, all these different cultures. And if you find that you identify more with this particular way, right. that's okay. I feel like right. as long as you're not like, <laughs> you know, as long as you're not like discriminated against a group of people, as long as you're not hurting anyone is not. Right. As long yeah. As we not, totally like, talked yeah. about cults and like distinguishing between a legitimate spiritual, you know, path that is yeah. respectful. And so again, that harm none, you know, <clears throat> respect yourself and respect others. That really is at the heart of, so you choose whatever you want to believe as long as you're respecting yourself and others. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And hopefully there's no, um, you know, there's no extreme extremism there. <laughs> like hopefully they're not on the extreme line of the, of the spectrum, even, you know, even one way or the other, it's like, you know, you, cause a lot of people just use their faith to guide them. And, and, you know, for some people it really does like touch them and it really is important to them. And, yeah. Um, and it's also, you know, which is, which is great as long as, again, you're not like trying to harm or restrict the way of living for other people and, and you're not doing damage. Like, <laughs> I feel like yeah. it's, it's a good way to put it. Yeah. You're not doing damage. So 
you do you, right? Yeah. And that was something I really wanted to show people about brujeria and hoodoo that I feel like is a major misconception and that Mm -hmm. this was a protective magic. They're protecting themselves. They're not going out searching to harm people necessarily. Right. right? And so that's part of the mystery. So I don't want to give too much away, but yeah, Yeah, because she's, she's still like kind of rediscovering it, you know, but, and again, where these memories are fighting to resurface throughout right. the book too, where she's like, right. <clears throat> she's dealing with a lot of, a lot of stuff and, and she's trying to, and I like her. Um, I forget. It was like her friend or her colleague or someone who was like, no, you just go for it. Just pull that up, pull all the shit up, figure it out and go from there. Cause I feel like a lot of, I feel like a lot more people need to hear that. Like, if they're going through a hard time, they really need to like, like, why? Like, why is this affecting you? Like, stop, stop trying to, part of fixing it is trying to figure it out. Like trying to figure out the root and not just the symptoms, but the cause, you know, like you gotta, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so I want to talk about like, okay, so the, I could tell that you're a poet, like, your writing style is definitely like how you said, like lyrical and sensual. And even from the first page, it was like, am I reading poetry? Like what? <laughs> Cause it was awesome. just, it draw it draws you in and it's like, it's just a different kind of connection um, with the language you use. So like kind of what, what, how was this experience writing this novel different from like writing your other different types of formats and maybe like big, biggest lessons learned and things like that? Yeah. So it's kind of hard to explain in terms of how do I write lyrically and, and how do I write a poem? Because it almost feels like the extension of my brujeria is writing. And so even though this is like the way that it comes out on the page is not the way that it sounds when I speak. But when I speak, it's like it's, it channels kinesthetically through me and just somehow it comes out. But in poetry, that's fine. And, and I don't have to plan ahead. I don't have to do anything else. It just... There's all kinds of experimentation on the page and the poem just somehow finds itself. And there's a saying that I really like about the poem being wiser than we are. And I find that (laughs) so often true. But in a novel, right? Yes, I still do have to find out who my characters are. And there is a kind of an intuitive wisdom that happens and a kind of a magic and transformation on the page where the characters will speak to me and tell me what's going on. And I don't always know what's going to happen. Even if I've plotted it out, sometimes a character will just say or do something. And I'm like, oh my gosh, where did that come from? And then I have to go back every time. I feel like that's common. Yeah. Yeah. But if I don't have some kind of a plan, then I will just go off in the language. I mean, because that's really my jam. I'll turn on some music and just start going. It's almost like I, I don't actually play the piano, so this could be like it's all in my head. But I just get in the zone. Yeah. Yeah, I get in the zone. I feel like I'm like jamming out on the keyboard, you know, and that it just it just flows. But I have to have a plan in mind or I'll just go on and on with the language. And so biggest lesson learned, I think, is that the more I plan, it doesn't inhibit creativity. It actually helps to facilitate it. And I'm able to, you know, kind of channel that creativity in a in a way that um, I don't have to keep rewriting the whole story over and over, you know, yeah. when I actually plan it out. Because the past couple of novels, I've actually written like 100, 150 pages, and then I have to stop and go back. And, you know, it turns out that was pretty much all just character sketch and 
uh, atmosphere, place, getting the, a sense of voice, but it wasn't actually the novel yet. I have to go mm. back. I might use chunks of it, of that 150 pages that I wrote. Yeah. I might use like 25 straight up pages and then maybe a few paragraphs here and there. Otherwise, it, it really was just fodder, which is fine. You know, that's part of the creative I think process. that's what you need sometimes. I think yeah. that just helps you yeah. get it out. Yeah. Exactly. But if I'm on a time crunch, then planning <laughs> ahead really does help. <laughs> right. You're like, I'm taking too much time that yeah. <laughs> for something that I'm not sure is going to matter. <laughs> just rocking out, you know, which is right. fine. I mean, You're in the I need, zone. Yeah. Need to pay the bills. <laughs> Too, yeah, so. right. <laughs> I know, right? It takes the time that it takes. I think I read somewhere where, from another author where it was like the first draft's purpose is to be a first draft. So yeah. it's, I think, you know, whatever you find your process. But yeah, the the time, unfortunately, is a valuable resource that we cannot replenish. And so, yep. you know, so if, you, if you're meeting, a, if you're meeting a deadline, it's like, yeah, like, yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> Um, so I, this next question, it's like a two-parter. I, I, I love asking it, um, cause I always get very interesting responses. So what was your, what was the most challenging part or parts to write? And then what were like the most enjoyable part or parts to write? So anything with Eva just kind of, you know, thinking through and trying to figure out what was going on. Um, and then anything with her, this was the most enjoyable part for me, um, was really just getting inside of her head. And I think that when I made that shift or when I made the decision to write this in first person, uh, it unlocked her story for me and I was able to get into her head. And I thought of her the way that I would speakers in my poems. And so I was really, I felt like I was writing poems when I was writing in her voice. But then, you know, I showed it to my editors and they were like, well, you're really in her head a lot. <laughs> it's claustrophobic, <laughs> you know? And I was like, oh shoot. Yeah. Because I've written like hundreds of pages of poems. <laughs> and so I had to go back through on the next draft and pull the camera back way, you know, way far and to get a wider lens of what is she doing yeah. and who is she talking to and who else is involved in this? Because otherwise it was basically just like inside her head, or just her directly looking at things, you know, and it was such an intense gaze that it was hard to sustain, you know, for the entire novel. Well, it wasn't hard for me to write because I, that's how I love to write, but pulling back, I think was the most challenging. And it yeah. taught me a valuable lesson in that now I've, mm. I've since then written a middle grade novel with my daughter, who's 12. Okay. That, and um, I'm going to send that out to our agent. And that's uh, super exciting. And Writing that middle grade with her, I was able to teach her all of the lessons that I learned in writing the past three novels. Um, and then now as I'm working on my fourth, too, I'm finding that being able to write in scene is a lot easier now that I've put myself through that where, um, you know, I was really getting a handle on voice. And I felt like I went to an extreme side with Eva getting a, a sense of her voice. But it taught me really how to do that well and then how to pull back and to write a you know a multi-layered, multi-textured scene with lots of different characters and desires and intentions um, mm. and you know going on in the room. So, for instance, the courtroom scene was one that I wrote much later in the process. So I didn't even have that the first several drafts through, and then mm. it took 
you know, knowing ultimately what was all going to happen until I was able to go back into that courtroom scene and then see all the different characters at play and what their tensions were. Um, Another thing that I loved doing so much was everything supernatural. So like the funeral scene, um, you know, I went back and layered it in. I I layered more um, context into it, but you know, the supernatural event that happens in the funeral scene, like that was so fun. And that just (laughs) basically everything with the ghosts was super fun. And I I really had a blast and I want to write, I feel like I just want to write ghost stories forever now because it's so fun. (laughs) Yeah, no, they are, they're, they're kind of fun and they're like creepy and eerie. And it's like, you know, you can, you can navigate and tell it in a way where it's like, it seems normal almost until like, the end and then you're like oh wait what (laughs) (laughs) because yeah i even like watching um shows or movies where kind of like ghost story adjacent it's just like yeah it's like you kind of get sucked in and you're like wait what like (laughs) right so no that's that's very cool and i love that you um collaborated with your daughter to uh address you know to or at least to write a story for that audience because i know um, there are some authors who like they're used to writing for a young adult or adults and then like they venture into the middle grade and it's that is like a project in itself because they're not used to it and they got to like adjust their tone, adjust their message, adjust the language exactly. choice. And yeah. yeah, like, you know, where it's like, okay, well, for these like intimate parts, like how how can we teeter on that line where it's still appropriate right. or right. it's like on those, you know, the not gory parts, but maybe the scary parts. It's like, again, yeah. how do we navigate that? How do we teeter on that? All that stuff. But I, I love that. That's so cool. So <clears throat> just a few more questions. So I also like asking this question too. I'm going to go for it. So <laughs> what advice would you give to Eva, to Alba, to Jimena, to Javier? Oh, <laughs> an interesting question. Where, at which I, said, point I was going to go the, for it. Let's hear it. Yeah. <laughs> at which point in the novel, like at the end? Yeah. Or, um, like now? So going into let's go with the beginning of the novel. Mm. I mean, there'd be no novel. <laughs> exactly. Could, you know, if they if followed your advice. <laughs> <laughs> like trust each other, you know, that's tr- trust each other and yourselves. I mean, and, and honestly, I think Alba, um, so Alba is her sister who takes care of her and uh, and the children. And then Jimena and Javier are her children. And I feel like they already have, I, I, there's no advice for me to give them <laughs> because they already know this. You know, they're, I feel like they're probably the wisest ones in the book. And I think that for Eva, it's trusting her family and trusting herself. Mm-hmm. Trust your kids, trust your sister. It is. And it's like, I, I think Alba was my favorite. And I really did like, like I said before, I really did like Jimena and Javier because they were very like, with kids, it's like, you know, for the most part, there's not a whole, like what you see is what you get. Right. Yeah. It's like Jimena, she wasn't, she wasn't falling for the detectives, like, fl- you know, fucking <laughs> yeah, right. up. She was right. like, yeah, okay. And then, yep. of course, Eva's like, can you just, like, not be, like, can you not, can you be a little more polite? Like, can you, right. like, you yeah, know, and, and then ha- that she actually admired about her daughter, right? She loved that she could just be herself to yeah. anybody, you know? And so that's, that's something that I learned really from my own daughter, too. <laughs> that's, just, like, aw- yeah, that's awesome. awesome. And I, yeah. and I am, you know, I think it's just as a parent, you learn stuff. Not only, it's just like, I tell people, like, you're just kind of leveling up. 
Like right. when you have kids, you you're discovering a new role for yourself and right. you learn things about yourself and your partner and um, even all your support system and yeah. all that, all that jazz. And it's like, I have two boys and I, I've always wanted a girl. I, who knows if, if, you know, I don't know if I'll have a third. We'll see because I feel like my hands are full. Right now. Oh yeah. Um, right. And there's like, for mine, there's a three-year age gap and I like the three-year age gap. So I'm oh like, well, I got, you. I got, I got a little bit of time to see if I want another three-year age gap. So, like, <laughs> you know, so I, I get it. And yeah, it's a different kind of um, feeling. And yeah, it's like where you're learning, you're learning more about yourself and you're learning um, once you're part of that, like the sisterhood of motherhood, then I feel like right. you're a little more understanding and you're a little more like, fuck it. And you're a little more like, and, and then you just notice a lot more, but at the same time, or maybe it's just personally, I'm like, I'm like, I still want time to myself. I still want to run away. I still want to like, can I just get two hours by myself, like away from the house? Like, can I get, I think that like, yeah, like last Mother's Day, um, I, I, you know, I spent some time with the, we spent some time with the family, but I asked my husband, like, can I just like go to the bar and go read my book for a couple hours? Like, can you drop me (laughs) off? And then I let you know, you, you pick me up in a couple hours. Is that okay? He's like, if that's what you want. (laughs) And it was, it was enough of a gift. I was, like it was it was nice (laughs) exactly and I feel like that's what I wanted to show with Eva and a lot of people you know some people are like oh I don't understand her I don't understand her decisions and it's like yeah even though you can realize that she's making some poor decisions yeah you can at least try to empathize with why and I think that a lot of mothers really can empathize with why and it's like it's stressful enough to raise children but then when there's crises crisis after crisis happening Right. And it like it's all falling on you to carry that emotional weight. You, and and, all, and even if especially if you're not emotionally healthy to begin with, as Eva's not right, then you feel like you're crumbling beneath that weight. And you just want well, to also. Yeah. And she also like never really got closure from exactly. the traumatic experience from 12, 13, 15 years ago where right. her best friend like and then and then obviously she was at everybody assumed it was her and and the aftermath of that like where she went through all those accusations and the trial and all that stuff and right it was yeah it's understandably where she's still dealing with that and because up to that point where readers meet her she still doesn't know what happened to her friend and she just exactly. and then because she's an unreliable narrator it's like she doesn't know if she did it like she right. <laughs> right. she doesn't know like what's the truth and then you know it's like I feel like yeah because like i i'm with partially with the crew of like girl what are you doing i don't right. know it's understandable <laughs> to be like i would not have done that but then right. the other side is like well it's like you're this forgivable you know it's like it's there's yep. not an excuse there's an explanation <laughs> yeah exactly yeah and yeah and it's it's hard not to like her even though even even if you don't like her it's hard not to empathize with her it's hard not to still like root for her like yeah. it's okay to not like her and still root for her you know it's yeah. like i hope you yeah. figure it out i want to figure this out <laughs> with you <laughs> you know it's like come on it's like girl what are you doing like focus you know um so you kind of touched upon this before. Um, what do you hope like readers get out of Eva's story? I mean, first of all, I hope they just enjoy reading it. So that was, you know, I, a main goal of mine was just to write an enjoyable ride 
where you're turning the pages. It's going to be a little spooky. You might, yeah. you know, turn an extra set of lights on. <laughs> um, and then also that you have a, you know, a deeper understanding of what it means to practice folk magic, you know, and, or, um, you know, your cult, like to tap into your particular cultures, mm-hmm. um, brand of spirituality that might be outside of, you know, um, so-called uh, religion. And so that was important to me just to kind of um, get people thinking about what can magic be and what can it do in our lives? And what does it mean to have protective magic, like to arm ourselves, like armor ourselves, you know, um, with magic. And so I really just, I wanted to give a kind of a history lesson in that sense, but I didn't want it to be, I didn't want to write a nonfiction book, mm. you know? And so I wanted it to just be seamlessly woven with the story itself. So I hope that people really just have an enjoyable ride where they're learning things. And afterwards they're like, Oh, wow, I didn't know that. And you know, you walk away with a few nuggets of new information, but you also are like, you didn't even realize you were learning because you were yeah, just right. having fun reading. Um, and so that was a goal of mine. I always love reading books where I learn new things. And I try not to write too often about writers because, you know, I feel like I already like, that's not something that's going to stretch me very much. And so I want to be able to like, uh, Eva was a glass worker as well. And so I had to learn, like, what does that mean to make, you know, glass work? And so that was a lot of fun. So I want, I want readers to feel like they've learned something, but, um, more, you know, to have a sense too, of if, if you've gone through something like this and I don't know how many people will have, but I certainly did go through very similar experiences as Eva, and in many ways, she is me. And so it's kind of funny. And like, I learn a lot about myself when people don't necessarily like my um, women characters. And it's fine. It's, you know, it's all good. But like, it, it definitely is a learning experience. But I know that there are women who, you know, had that low of a sense of self-worth because of past traumas, because of abuse, because of toxic relationships, because mm-hmm. of cultural stigmas, like, um, for in- against, for instance, mental illness and, you know, being sensitive. Like, I grew up in a very machismo culture and I'm a very sensitive person. And so like they were often like opposed and I was in a very toxic relationship. So I felt a lot like Eva and I hope that if there are women and, and really anybody uh, who's been in similar situations where they are continuously doubting themselves and they're gaslit throughout their, you know, throughout their lives and in different Mm -hmm. situations and relationships that they can feel a sense of, um, like camaraderie with Eva. And um, so, you know, even though I hope it's an enjoyable ride, I'm also hoping that it's kind of definitely not a self-help, you know, in in any kind of way, but just that like people feel less alone if they've gone through any of these kind of shameful situations where something resonates at some level. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think, I think you got it. (laughs) Thank you. You know, at even, at even, yeah. At even any level, you know, not not a hundred percent, but at least at some level with her. Um, and I think that's that's part of the importance of making some uh, a flawed character, you know, yeah. and just making sure that because I feel like there would be no story if if it was perfect and they knew exactly what to do and if everything was uh, if everything was a smooth road to right. the end of the day <laughs> to the right. to the end of the story, yeah, and it's. Um, no, and I, Ava's a very different character than what I've had before. Cause yeah, it's like throughout the whole story, it's like you understand her doubts and you understand like why she's, well, her internal monologues, you get it. But at the yeah. same time, you're like, well, why? 
but why did you do that? <laughs> like, why, <laughs> you know, but why did you go there? Why did you, yeah. why did you follow this path? And like, right. why, you know, at the same time, I could kind of understand because I would have been like, oh no, fuck Jericho. He did it. You know, whether yeah. he's a cheater, but right. the other way I'm like, oh, well, why? But, but that's not the answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you know, take care of your business, handle your business first. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah, exactly. Um, so just a couple more questions. Oh, first beautiful cover thank you how did that how did that process go for you yeah so blackstone is amazing and i highly recommend them for any writers who are uh, looking for somewhere to send your books um they all you have to have an agent but to submit but i still highly recommend them um so this cover design was by sarah uh at blackstone and um, I sent her a, a few, um, like an inspiration board, really. So a few like images of witchy scenes and kind of like nonfiction witch books and about, so there's one um, like American Brujeria that I, I really enjoyed reading just for my leisure. And um, and then, oh, um, one that was actually very inspiring to the book itself was Stephanie Rosebird's Stick Stones, Roots, Bones, and so I just sent Sarah a bunch of different examples of of cover art that I enjoyed. And then um, initially, I felt like the cover wasn't necessarily as dark as we had wanted it to be or as I had wanted it to be, because it's, it is a murder mystery dealing with some dark magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she went back and added in like into the water, the owl who, you know, plays an important role symbolically as well as within the plot and then she went back in into the water and added like the blood splotches and I loved that so much and then I felt like you know the flowers were drowning and the owls in the water and I felt like okay yes (laughs) we've achieved it right yeah because it's yeah you don't know who you're gonna be competing with on release day release week release right. month right, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah and i i just um well because i did get the the digital copy but that first page i was like oh that's so beautiful <laughs> like, and, it, and it was um it set the tone you know and really like, well like what what's that owl doing there what's that owl about exactly. so yeah exactly. yeah i i really enjoyed it and it's you know i just is vibrant and it's it's a little mysterious and, it, and and then when you're reading it and you look back on the cover you're like oh okay like <laughs> yeah there was a debate at or you know a little bit of a debate she had given me two mock-ups and there was one with a woman in the water and then one with the owl in the water and i thought yes i do love the agency of the woman on the cover but I think that the owl in the water is going to really catch people's eyes because you, know, you just yeah. see these, these eyes, <laughs> you know, what are they doing? What is this? And so I thought it would be more intriguing and pull people in because we're used to seeing women on the covers of books more, I think, than, than an yeah. owl in the water potentially. And plus, honestly, I'm just obsessed with birds. So I could have just been influenced by that. <laughs> Maybe it was a, you know, the, the inspiration that your vision board and and the vibe that you were going for was like, I don't know. It's just lined up, you know? <laughs> yep. So lastly, um, so what's next that you could talk about? What other projects are you working on? You kind of talked about the pro you know, the collaboration with your daughter. Um, anything else that you want to promote that you can talk about? Sure. So I'm working on a novel called salt bones. 
And it's another murder mystery that takes place where I grew up in the Imperial Valley, which is on the Mexicali border. I actually have moved back to San Diego uh, in just the past few months. And I'm doing research down um, at the Salton Sea, which is a body of water that is um, drying up because mm. it, it was fed with irrigation uh, runoff. And now, you know, that there's a, a, such a drought here and the irrigation has been tightened. Um, the, the lake is drying up and it's toxic and there's like arsenic in the air and all other kinds of poisons in the air. And it's threatening the whole community that provides the winter vegetables to basically mm. the entire United States. And because it's primarily a Mexican population and the um, migrant population and uh, undocumented workers i don't i don't think very many people understand one how important of a place it is to our agriculture and to our food supply and you know and and also just like the the rich history and the community and the spirit of the place and it would be an ecological disaster and a humanitarian disaster if this community were forced to leave this place i mean mm. so many people there have asthma for instance um many children there have asthma and respiratory other respiratory issues because of the toxicity in the in the air and the in the dust now and so i'm writing about this but also um again just like everything else that i write uh i'm writing a murder mystery set there that ties the community um and the attitudes of the community and the problems within the community to the land itself and what's mm-hmm. happening to the land. and and then of course there's there's a mythical element to it um as well. So I'm hoping that, you know, I really, again, I want readers to enjoy turning the pages and finding out who these characters are and how they're connected and what their families are, you know, are, um, are doing (laughs) and why are they doing this? Mm. But they're also learning something. That's always an important goal for me. And, you know, I, I, I love watching documentaries and I love reading about history, but just my jam is that I can write fiction. And so I take a whole bunch of things that I care about and that I, you know, love learning about and I turn it into a story and uh, that's what I'm doing again. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Do you have a title for it yet? Salt bones. Salt bones. Oh, that's right. Okay. Salt bones. Yeah. I'll have to keep an eye out for it because um, I do enjoy your writing style and I, and I love, I love that you, you want to entertain and also educate and inform and bring, you know, the lesser known issues, incorporate them into your story. That's, that's so cool. And and so important. So Jennifer Gavon, river woman, river demon coming out October 4th. Thank you so much. This was such an enjoyable conversation. I feel like I learned so much and um, you're such a cool person. You were too. I know. Keep in touch. (laughs) thank you so much um do you uh, want to plug your like website social media real quick yeah so i'm at jennifergivon.com and i'm jen Givon on instagram and facebook and then Givon jen on twitter <laughs> so perfect follow me perfect, and perfect. i give um, i have a newsletter there on my website as well and i give this kind of inspirational transformational advice uh for writers and really all creators um and then i also do like a lot of sneak peeks of my next projects and things like that as well so if you were interested in my the next things that are coming out make sure to um check out my newsletter and, and get connected that way 
Nice. Yeah, I, I was uh perusing your website and I, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoy learning about you, learning about your works, learning where you come from and, and why you write how you write. And um yeah, like I said, I'll I'll keep an eye out because uh I can I can dig it. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Okay, that was Jennifer Givon uh talking about her book River Woman, River Demon, which comes up October fourth. Um, as always, you know, rate, review, subscribe. You can check out the show notes to see the links uh, for her social media and where you can buy the book. If you want to keep up with author interviews and book reviews, check out thenerdcantina.com and follow Cantina Book Club on Twitter and Instagram. And as always, thanks so much for listening.